Well, now let's turn to the Word of God and let me invite you to join me now in Matthew chapter 7 as we return to the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. I appreciate Pastor Tommy preaching for us last week from Psalm 46. My family and I got back from our trip and watched that message, blessed by that. I love that God is our very present help in our troubles. Great word for us. If you missed that, go online and hear Pastor Tommy's message from last week. But we're back now in the Sermon on the Mount, and we're in chapter 7, which begins this way. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Famous verse, right? This is the favorite verse of many unbelievers and disobedient Christians. Stripped from its context, this is the one that many people will quote. In fact, this is the only verse many people in our culture know. And when they quote it, they quote it with great passion. And it's typically a verse that's invoked to silence any discernment. It's to get other people out of their business. The idea is when they use this verse, it's to say this, nobody can say anything to me about my life. Nobody can judge me. Nobody can even question me. So is that what Jesus means by Matthew 7 verse 1? Because these are the words of Jesus, do not judge so that you will not be judged. So today it's going to be important for us to see together what does Jesus mean by these words and what does he not mean by these words. So let's read this now in context, Matthew 7, 1 and following. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them underfoot and turn and tear you to pieces. So here when Jesus tells his followers, do not judge, what is he telling us to avoid here? First of all, he's telling us there is an attitude to avoid. There's an attitude to avoid here. Jesus essentially is saying this, don't be judgmental. Don't misunderstand your mission in life. Don't think that your mission is to be the critic of other people. In fact, we say this way, we don't want to have the misunderstanding thinking that we have the spiritual gift of criticism. Sometimes we feel like, I'm pretty good at that. I, I'm good at it. But that's not a spiritual gift. Now, there are plenty of people who act like that's their role on the earth. And you can see them aplenty on social media. So they have their daily post of anger denouncing somebody. Sometimes it's not just daily, it's hourly. It's like they're known for it. It's just this angry posting after posting, a lot of bluster. They're opinionated, overconfident with their views and perspectives on any topic from politics to medicine to religion, current events. They can be counted on to give some negative, angry word on whatever the topic is. And Jesus is calling out an attitude like that, that type of approach toward your neighbor. Now, the word here in the original language is crino for judge. It means to separate, to choose to select, to determine. In fact, one of the definitions, one of the translations of that word crino is even to think. And so this word, like our word judge in English, has a range of meanings. 
So on the one hand, this word krino can mean to analyze or evaluate, to think. But at the other end of that word, it can mean to condemn or to avenge. So what I want us to see is there is a valid type of discerning that we must do. There's a type of judging that is not only okay, it's commanded for us to do. In fact, Jesus models it even in its very passage. Did you notice that Jesus says here, he uses the word hypocrites. Now, how do you call somebody a hypocrite unless you've thought about it, you've analyzed, and you've determined based on their action and behavior, this is hypocritical. Now, we all say, but Jesus is the judge. (laughs) He can judge. We know that's right, but what about me? In what sense am I supposed to judge? Well, it is in the realm of analyzing and evaluating things. In fact, think about it with me. You should be doing this throughout every day as you hear message after message after message on the news or TV shows or friends talking. Your mind should be evaluating constantly. Is that true? Is that true? And so much of what we hear, of course, is not true. So we must be discerning. In fact, the scripture tells us this. In this very Sermon on the Mount, which we're going to see in a week or two, look ahead to Matthew 7, verse 15. So we're just talking about can, do not judge. Can that mean we're not to be discerning? It can't mean that because Matthew 7, 15 says this, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So here we're told, do not judge, which is right. We're not to judge in the sense Jesus is talking about here. But then in verse 15, he's saying, you need to judge. You need to be very discerning. Beware. How about Matthew 18? Just a number of chapters ahead, Matthew 18, Jesus himself says this, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother and you know the rest of that. And if he doesn't listen, bring another friend with you. And if he doesn't listen to him, you bring him before the church, a a passage on church, church discipline. But here's Jesus saying, don't be judgmental, but there are times when you're going to have to speak into another person's life and bring them a loving rebuke. In fact, we come to Galatians 1.8 and we read this. We have to be discerning, analyzing, evaluating in the realm of doctrine. Galatians 1.8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we preach to you, he's to be accursed. Or how about 2 John verse 10? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. So we must be discerning. So if you had somebody ride up to your house on a bicycle and they offered you another testament of Jesus Christ, they bring another gospel, you must judge that to be false. Now you can be kind and hopefully you'll take the opportunity to share the true gospel with that person, but you must be discerning. Or what if somebody in your life group came to you and said, you know, I met somebody online and I'm going to leave my wife and I'm going to move in with her. You better judge that in your mind as wrong. And so you would say to your friend, you're kidding, right? You know that's not right. You know that sin. Now, predictably, your friend will say, hey, do not judge me. You can't judge me. And you would then have to respond this way. Listen, I'm not judging you in the sense of condemning you. I'm just pleading with you to to hear the word of God. And you know this isn't right. You know you're going to devastate yourself and your family and your testimony You must speak into situations like that. But Galatians 6 tells us how we do it. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, catch this, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, 
Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. So the key here is humility and love. In those times when we have to speak into somebody else's life with a correction or a rebuke, there can't be any hint of pride in us when we have to take that unfortunate move. There can't be any spirit of condemnation in us when we come to help somebody else. Our goal must always be redemptive. That's what we see in Matthew 18. That's what we see in Galatians 6. So, so we're just talking about what is this judging that we're not to do? And we know this, that, that this verse, Matthew 7, 1, does not negate our call to be discerning and to turn away from error and evil. Matthew 7, 1 does not negate our responsibility to bring a loving rebuke to a friend in sin. Neither does Matthew 7, 1 negate all the passages that teach us about church discipline. By the way, did you know that when you joined Staples Mill Road Baptist Church, you agreed to church discipline? Here's how we word it in our, in our uh, church covenant. This is the 10th thing in our church covenant. It says, with God's help, I will welcome and respond to loving, grace-filled attempts to draw me back to faithfulness if I stray from biblical truth, morality, or unity. That's just love. Like, I want people. If I start to go off the rails, I want somebody to love me enough to gently, lovingly, with a redemptive goal, come to me and try to bring me back to the scriptures, bring me back to my senses. And that's what we do for one another. So there is a right type of judging. But now let's go to what Jesus is calling out here in our text. Jesus is calling out a wrong type of judging that you would see in the Pharisees of his day. So we know about these Pharisees. They come up a lot in Jesus's interactions. And we've already seen them called out here in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, it was the Pharisees that loved to pray in public so that they would be impressive in the eyes of men. It was the Pharisees he called out who would want to fast in such a way that people would think, oh, they're fasting, but aren't they impressive? But here Jesus calls out also this type of pharisaical judgment where they enjoyed looking down on others, even condemning others. Jesus had a lot to say about the Pharisees in this regard. In Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus begins a parable and he sets up the parable this way. It says, and he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, catch this, and viewed others with contempt. So what parable did Jesus call out for people who puff themselves up and look down on other people? It's this one. It's a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector going into the temple to pray. Maybe you remember this one, Luke 18, 11. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Jesus then describes the tax collector. But the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Then Jesus concludes it this way. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. So what's the point of this? Jesus is telling us we cannot be critical people. We can't be petty, condemning, judgmental people. We're not to exalt ourselves up as the standard of holiness that everybody ought to come up to. Jesus is the standard of holiness. And we're not to exalt ourselves to the role of judge over everybody else in our lives. Jesus is that ultimate judge there. So pride is the root of the wrong kind of judging. 
But love and humility are the keys when we're to correctly discern and sometimes speak into somebody else's life. So there is an attitude to avoid. But not only that, as you notice, there is a judgment to avoid. And it's a judgment coming inbound. So do not judge, notice this, so that you will not be judged. So the question is, whose judgment am I worried about here? Well, it's true that this applies to people as well. If you're a critical person, then expect that people are going to be very critical with you. If you made it your pastime to be a fault finder in the lives of other people, you've done that, you're known for that, then don't be surprised if people then enjoy fault finding in your life. But I think Jesus primarily is speaking here about God's judgment of this particular sin of judging in this way. You and I need to be aware that a judgmental spirit is sin. If we judge others in this unmerciful, arrogant way, we should expect, if we're believers, the discipline of God for that or the judgment of God if we don't know him. And we're warned about this repeatedly in the Bible. How about Romans 2 verse 1? Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, for in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. Or how about James 4, 11 and 12? He says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So this type of a judgmental spirit is sin and it's worthy of the judgment of God. One scholar said it this way, just as God will forgive those who forgive. Remember that from chapter six, just as God will forgive those who forgive, he will condemn those who condemn. That's an important word for us. We can think I'm on God's side. I'm so angered about all the things everybody's doing. I'm on God's side as I judge everybody around me. And God's saying, you're not on my side if you have that arrogant spirit. Actually, that's a sin too. And that also is worthy of judgment. So there is an attitude to avoid that judgmental attitude. There's a judgment to avoid, avoid the judgment of God for sinning in this way. But there's also a standard to hold. Look at verse two. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And so, as we said, interpersonally, this may be true. The standards you hold up, don't be surprised if other people look at you and find the faults that you have in your life. But God also will judge you by a standard. Romans 2, verses 21 through 23. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal, do you steal? You who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? So let's ask the question, what is the right standard of measurement for our behavior and the behavior of others. It is the word of God. That's the standard that we use. Now the Pharisees were excellent at bringing up man-made traditions, man-made customs, and then holding themselves and other people to their man-made customs. We're not to do that. But if we're not careful, we might not do it the way the Pharisees did it, but we'll do it just from some different customs. I still find this funny. Years ago, I was judged because I cut the grass once wearing shorts. I didn't know that was a moral issue. I mean, it certainly, certainly just was odd. So here's how it went down. It was at a previous church. I was in a deacon's meeting and um, one of the guys said, I need to say something. 
he was an older man. And so he was given the floor and he said, I don't know what to tell people when they say the pastor of this church was cutting grass in knee breeches. First of all, I had to think, what are knee breeches? Oh, shorts, that makes sense. And then I thought, so I was just taken aback and I thought, well, and I'm a 25 year old pastor at the time. I'm thinking, well, I didn't know that was a problem. I've never, I've never heard that that's somehow a problem. And I'm giving respect, this man was in his 70s, so, but I, I don't know. I said, I can tell you this, I had already planned not to do it again because the pebbles and the sticks were hitting my legs. I was gonna wear jeans next time anyway, but, but that was just, just kind of bizarre. I didn't know that was a thing. Cutting the grass at the house would be, in shorts, would be somehow sinful. Some people do this. They'll criticize the church, not because of doctrinal problems. And by the way, that's, that's something you should judge. Is the church teaching the things according to the scripture? You must be discerning of that. But some people will be critical of the church because of worship styles or types of seating or, or where the lyrics are coming from. This one's always comical to me. It's as if it's more holy to hold a book with words in it than to see a words on a screen. Like, what, what is that? That's not biblical. Or I've known legalistic Christians from the past who used to think it was a big deal if, if a Christian had facial hair. Like somehow it was less holy if a man had facial hair. That's, that's, that makes no sense whatsoever. Or, or women can't wear women's jeans or women's slacks and they would look at that as a sin issue. That's man-made thinking. So you and I know that's absurd. That's even a bit comical. We won't do that. But you know, if we're not careful, we'll still judge people by a standard we've set up. So let's just analyze that a little bit. Let me just give you one real life scenario. So imagine this with me. That as a pastor, I drive up to make a hospital visit. And many hospitals have clergy parking where pastors can pull in because you want to be able to get in and get out. And so, in fact, by the way, I missed that. P pandemic has kept me out of the hospitals. I can't wait to get back to those visits uh, to encourage people. But you can imagine the scenario of driving up there. And so I pull into a spot and to my right is a luxury car in the clergy spot next to me. I'm talking expensive luxury car. What am I to think about that as a pastor, seeing my fellow pastor's car that I don't know? First thought is this one. That's not the choice I would have made. Uh, I don't think that's the right image for a pastor. I don't mind it. A church member, a businessman, don't, don't care. But for me, my mentors kind of taught me that's not the way you do it. What should my second thought be? It's none of my business. That's my second thought. Because I have no idea the circumstances around why he's driving that car. So I could just run through charitable options rather than condemn him, think he's wrong, he's sinning, he's materialistic. I don't know that about him because of what he's driving. So I have to bring up more charitable interpretations. Maybe his grown children who are doing well gave him that car. Is that a possibility? That's a, that's a possibility. I should not judge the man. Maybe he won the car on a game show. I don't know. Maybe he was in business and did quite well before he was in the ministry. Maybe somebody left the car to the church and wanted it to be used kind of like a company car. I don't know. Maybe he got an incredible deal on that car and it's not nearly as expensive as one might think it was. Or maybe simply he chose to spend his money on a car that I wouldn't have chosen to buy. And so I wouldn't have made the choice. I think it's okay for me to have that opinion, but I can't then judge the man for something that the Bible doesn't specifically call out. So in other words, my personal convictions can't become the measure of how I'm gonna judge whether somebody else is sinning or not. There's only one authority for that, and that's God's word. And there we can say, now if something is violating the scriptures, then we can all agree, or even if we don't agree, God's word is the standard, this is true. So let me ask you this, have you ever misjudged somebody? 
where you were sure you were right, you pronounced some thought, maybe it didn't come out of your mouth, but in your head, in your heart, you had sized up another person and only to discover later, oh, I was wrong. It may be that you knew a lady and you assumed she is a snob. She thinks she's better than us. She'll come into a room and she won't even speak to us. She won't even look in my direction. She's a snob. And you get to know her and you realize, oh goodness, she's the opposite of a snob. She's very insecure. She's extremely shy. The reason she's not looking at you, maybe, she, maybe you've misread her body language. This woman was quite shy and, and you realize, ah, I wish I not, had not had that bad, that bad type of judging against her. Or maybe you did this. You look at somebody in the church and think, they're lazy. They don't, they don't come to as many things as I come to. They're, they're lazy. They're not as committed as I am. Only to discover, oh, I didn't realize all that was going on in their lives. I didn't realize really battling some anxiety issue or some deep depression. Should have had the mindset that, wow, it's just amazing. They came as much as they came in light of what they were battling rather than just assuming the worst. Or have you ever believed the gossip about somebody? Somebody told you about somebody and you just thought, yeah, yeah, they're, they're less than, they're whatever, only to discover later, you know, I think that information I got was bad information. I should have never judged them based on something somebody else told me. Here's what's interesting and quite sad. Jesus was on the receiving end of this type of wrong judging throughout his ministry. Think about this. Jesus was criticized for spending time with sinners. What was the judgment? He must be a sinner if he's hanging around sinners, but that's not it. We know Jesus, he was, he was going to save sinners and so he was with them. Jesus was judged and criticized for allowing a woman to anoint his feet with tears. Jesus was criticized and misjudged for allowing expensive perfume to be poured on him. He said, that is wasteful. I could have been given to the poor. And Jesus said, they've just anointed my body before my burial. How about this one? Jesus was misjudged and accused of having a demon. Remember that? He's casting out demons by the prince of demons. That was a wrong judgment. Jesus had it done to him. How about this one? Jesus was judged as being a blasphemer because he had the nerve to forgive sin, something only God can do. But he is God. He was being misjudged. And how about this one? He was literally judged and condemned in a false trial. More than just words and people misunderstood him, went through this really horrible trial and then hung on a Roman cross, though he was sinless. And so we're to avoid being judgmental and thereby avoid the judgment for being that type of person. We're to have the right standard to measure just the word of God. So how do we apply this message to ourselves in the moments that remain? Well, let's look again at what Jesus says next. Look at verse three again. Here's how we can apply this. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, there's a log in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So when there are those times where I might need to speak to somebody about something that's off in their life, first thing Jesus would say is, ask the question, do I have a log in my own eye? Is there something I'm failing to address in my life? Because it is much easier and certainly much more enjoyable to find the faults in other people than to look inward. I remember at the dinner table with my mom in high school, I looked over at her and it was comical to me as a teenage boy to see my mother with some salad dressing on the side of her cheek. So I couldn't wait with a little smirk on my face. <laughs> you need to get that off your cheek. She politely wiped it off and then she says, and now you need to get that off your cheek. <laughs> I, saw the, I saw the salad dressing on her face. I had no idea it was on my face. We can do the same thing with our sin. We can have these blind spots. Maybe you have a log in your eye, a log of pride. 
you see what somebody else is doing, but totally blind to your own pride or arrogance or self-righteousness, that can be much more subtle, but a bigger deal perhaps in the mind of God than what we're calling out. Or maybe we have the log of bitterness or unforgiveness. We're just self-centered. Or how about this one? We, we, we want to see somebody doing something wrong. We want to call it out. And maybe we are prayerless. What an enormous sin to not be people of prayer, to not spend time in the presence of God, to somehow never get around to that, never getting that. And yet I'm going to nitpick somebody else about something else. That's a log in the eye. Or what about bad stewardship? Never going to tithe, never going to be a regular giver, never going to give as God has enabled me. And yet I'm going to pick out somebody else's thing or just spiritual inactivity. So we might be right about what we see wrong in somebody else. But Jesus says, but there might be something bigger going on in your own life. Check out your own eye first. So first thing we do, if we want to help somebody else, do I have a log in my own eye? Secondly, do I have the full picture? Do I have the full story? Can't be hasty here. Maybe there's more information than what I know that explains what's going on there. Third, am I using the right measure? So am I operating on opinion or is this indeed the word of God? Is this truth versus error? Is this what the Bible calls out as sin? Then we have this one. Four, am I the right person to speak into their life? Sometimes we see something going off and we think, am I the one? And sometimes you'll discover, no, there's somebody closer to them that would, that would be able to speak in life better than I could. It would be received better if this other person did it. But on other occasions, you'll discover, no, I think I'm it. I'm the one that God has put in the position. And because I love them, I'm the one to speak into their situation. Number five, do I love this person? Is my goal redemptive? If I don't love them and my goal is not redemptive, I should keep quiet. If I'm just angry and want to pop off at somebody I disagree with, be quiet. But if I love them and my goal is to restore them to a healthy walk with Christ, then I can speak into it. Number six, are they professing to be a Christian? So typically we don't get into the business of looking at unbelievers who don't follow Jesus and don't follow the word of God and tell them all the ways that we see them doing wrong. There are times when we speak to issues of right and wrong and truth, of course. But, but typically when it comes to one-on-one -on -one correction, not going to do that with an unbeliever. The, the message to an unbeliever is, oh, Jesus loves you. He gave his life for you. You need to turn everything over to Jesus. Yes, there's sin's going to come up in that conversation, repenting of all that and being forgiven of your sin. But we don't have these types of conversations with unbelievers. Then finally, we leave the ultimate judgment to God. The person may not receive, receive well our attempts to be helpful, coming in humility and love. And, and ultimately, we know God is the judge. In fact, let's end there with the acknowledgement that we have one ultimate judge, the one before whom all of us will stand, according to 2 Corinthians 5. This judge, God, he is holy. This judge before whom all of us will stand, he's righteous, he's just, he's omniscient. The judgment he will give will be absolutely perfect and flawless. And here's the good news. This perfect judge, he wants to save you and not condemn you. That's what we celebrated just a moment ago with the bread and the cup. The body and the blood of Jesus, that demonstrates to you, God doesn't want to condemn you. He gave his son to take your condemnation in your place so that if you turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, ask him to be your savior and Lord, then you don't have to fear the judgment to come. You won't be in that judgment that sends many into condemnation. You've already been saved. You'll be in a judgment then of just evaluation and, and what reward the Lord would like to give you beyond that. But here's the question. Do you know this judge personally? 
and you can through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you a moment to put your faith in Jesus. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Do you know Jesus? Not just know about him, but have you made a move toward him? Knowing that he made the first move, it was Jesus who came and took on flesh and blood and went to the cross for you. And he was raised from the dead after dying for your sins. And he offers, if you'll believe in him, you'll not perish, but you'll have everlasting life. Would you right now ask Jesus to save you if you haven't already? You can ask him like this, Jesus, save me. I need it. And I need you to take over my life. I need the forgiveness. I need the peace you offer. I need the direction you offer. I need the hope you offer. Tell him, I'm all in, Jesus. I, I give my whole life to you and I want to follow you. All my faith is in you. Now let me pray for us. God, we are trusting you. And Lord, we trust that you are the ultimate judge. And God, we do want to get ourselves off of that judgment seat.